podcast ain't played nobody. Uh, your college football marriage of numbers and words. And I have to apologize right off the bat. I've been getting tweets about how people can't wait till the day they open up the new PAPN episode. And it's Godfrey saying those very words. Uh, we're, we're all longing for Stephen Godfrey's return. But in the meantime, I've been able to get some pretty awesome guest hosts, I must say. Uh, and while Godfrey is still on double secret mission for however much longer, um, deep in the bowels of college football, I decided, you know what? It's been a really interesting week of, uh, college football coaching rumors and everything else. We'll go with interesting and who better to bring on to talk about the interesting college football week than none other than Holly Anderson, uh, uh, formerly, I guess, of EDSBS. I'm pretty sure you've still got all the different privileges when you want to use them, if I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. But, but welcome, Holly. Hey, good to be here. <laughs> uh, so it's been a dumb week. Um, it's been a dumb August. week in a year of dumb weeks. And it really kind of seems like, um, as we were saying before we started recording, you know, the last couple of years, Jason Kirk has asked me to, that evil Jason Kirk has asked me to um, talk about like grade the coaching hires and, and all that. And, and basically like 95% of them were completely sound and logical to the point where it's like, well, I mean, everybody did pretty well. We'll see what happens. Half of them are going to lose anyway. Um, I feel like this year there's going to be an official curve to grade on because in the last week, in the last like four days, I've found myself defending Todd Graham. <laughs> I found, I found myself defending, um, God, who I, who else? Well, yesterday I was briefly defending Ron Zook. That's how how, whoa, how weird whoa, the week. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. Um, well, so I wrote the I, I wrote this humongous uh, Glenn Mason territory piece on Monday, mm-hmm. uh, where I basically just talked about how we all want to fire our coach when he goes seven and five too long, mm-hmm. uh, and and we inevitably get worse after we do that because it's just. You know, we all think we deserve nine and three. We most of us don't. Uh, and if we fight, if we get tired of seven and five, then we go three and nine. Uh, so I, I just listed a ton of examples of guys who got fired after seven, six, seven, eight win seasons, uh, and their team got worse after them. One of them was Ron Zook. And I, I mean, I remember Ron Zook. I, and this was this is Illinois Ron Zook, not Florida Ron. Zook. Oh, okay, all right. Although technically, I could, well, no, I can't really. That wouldn't have been as good of an example since they kind of replaced him with Urban Meyer. But uh, mm. at Illinois. You know, he wins nine games in 07, uh, down a couple down years, and then they go seven and six and seven and six, I believe. And I mean, I, I know, I know Ron Sook. I, I watched those teams. I, I'm glad he wasn't my team's coach. But regardless, they Illinois decided they wanted something better than seven and six, and they fired him. Uh, and they have not been better than seven and six. They had the, like one okay season under uh, Beckman. And otherwise they've been just burning it to the ground and starting over. So it was, it was one of the examples, Illinois fans kind of somewhat justifiably uh, perked up and went, um, really, you're going to defend Ron Zook. And then just kind of out of habit, because it's been a dumb week, I started saying, yes, yes, maybe you shouldn't have fired Ron Zook. Um, <laughs> Remember on you and I were talking on Sunday morning about how weird it was to feel bad for Todd Graham for a yes. job change related reason. Remember how indignant we were on Sunday morning and how that was now like seven botched coaching fires ago. Right. No, that, and that was, um, it was funny. Like I almost didn't write the Glenn Mason territory piece because, 
Um, by the time, like, so Jason and I talked about it that morning and then, uh, we have a little editorial staff thing on Sunday evenings where we talk about what's going to, what we're going to write about. And it was kind of like, you know, I don't think anybody in the world cares about Todd Graham anymore because of everything that has happened at Tennessee over the last like 12 hours, mm-hmm. but we decided to go ahead and write it. I'm glad I did. Cause it was, it got a good response and, and a semi irate response. It was also very enlightening because. I was talking about like the Illinois and the Arizona states of the world, but then like people, as people found the post, it would be like um, an OSU fan or an OSU writer uh, quote tweeting it and saying, see OSU fans, this is why you probably need to stop, you know, why you probably shouldn't think too hard about firing Mike Gundy. Like, wait, what? Yeah. We have have OSU fans mad about Mike Gundy right now. (sighs) We'll take them off your hands, y'all. Yeah, seriously. A lot of schools. Apparently, Tennessee would have paid $7 million a year to take him off their hands. I wanted Gundy last time. We've been through this with Gundy before. No, it was – that was the one thing that I learned about, like, the the Gundy piece I wrote when I went to Stillwater in September. Like, he is content. Uh Um, Like, everything that happened back when he was talking to Tennessee the first time and negotiating with with T. Boone and all of those things that seemed to cause some awkwardness for a while, that's done. Yeah, that was weird about this time. I don't even understand why he went through it this time. I think it was basically because everybody's got their price. Yeah. And he was really curious, like, wait, is Tennessee going to offer me like $10 million a year to coach their football team? Because if so. Which they, I I don't know. It was just weird after they already refused to pay Matt Campbell's buyout. Yeah. Yeah, Which, many, they hey, offered we own, refused to pay Matt Campbell's buyout. Uh-huh. <laughs> <sighs> Honestly, though. Um, now, granted, when I first brought up you coming on to PAPN, it was a, it was a much more dumber state, a uh, much dumber state than it is now. But now you've got apparently an agreement in, or close to I, – I, I feel weird recording right now because who knows what the hell will, will change well, in the next like three hours. So everything that's coming out of Tennessee right now that is saying that uh, Tennessee's about to hire Jeff Brom out of Purdue is sourced from one Jimmy Hyams tweet, two Jimmy Hyams tweet. And of course, now just uh, five minutes ago on the timeline uh, is another report that says Jeff Brome was recruiting for Purdue today. And according to the commit that he was visiting today, Brome said he's not leaving Purdue for Tennessee. I should say at the outset that I do not believe that Tennessee has hired a coach and I will not believe that Tennessee has hired a coach until the coach is at the podium in the correct color polo shirt. (laughs) Um, I felt this way before the, before the events of this weekend, Uh, and, and I feel this way now, you know, we, we went through this, you know, four different times with Butch. I, I I do not believe that anything has happened until it has actually happened. And also I have zero faith in this administration to make a good hire, which makes me extra skeptical of the Brome thing. Let's just say that if they hire him, kudos, because if they hire him, I will be astonished in the best possible way. No, this was just bumbling yourself into a great hire because he's awesome. Like I, I, you know, Godfrey and I were saying exactly this a year ago when Purdue hired him, that it was a great, like that it was a semi-incredible hire. We couldn't believe Purdue had had made the hire. Mm -hmm. And that was with the full assumption that they were not going to do Jack this year on the field. And then they did. And then they, like, I watched them in person. Granted, they they took on the, the least prepared Missouri team I think I've ever seen. Uh, at least since about 1999. 
but they, I, I felt bad for them. They showed up with a, an incredible game plan. They executed well. They hit a funk in the middle of the season. They lost a couple of close games. And they turned around and, and, and won their last couple, secured bowl uh, eligibility all the same. Like they did, I could not be more impressed with them. So if that's who you guys got, A, as a fan of another SEC East school, I hate it. But kudos because you, yeah, you, you guys tripped right into a heck of a higher if, 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 and I, the idea that we could end up with a coach that I like is so foreign to me because it's never happened <laughs> in my lifetime. It's never, this school has never made a hire that I have been happy with in my lifetime. But you know, that's, that's kind of a Tennessee thing too. And, you know, part of this, too, is that, like, um, we don't know his limitations yet. That's part of the draw. Obviously, like, with Scott Frost, it's the same way. Mm-hmm. We, he hasn't ever failed, so therefore we don't know what it will look like when he does. So, I mean, who knows? There there are still all sorts of hurdles. But Yeah, this is the thing no, I was the, getting into with Spencer when, you know, he was getting really worked up about Scott Frost, and I was kind of trying to talk him off Scott Frost. And I'm like, do you know you're repeating everything that you said when you guys hired McElwain? <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not saying Scott Frost won't be great, but – People were stoked about the McElwain hire. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, no, I, I like Scott Frost. I like Jeff Brom. And part of it is because we haven't ever seen them fail. I understand. Like my eyes are just as biased as everybody else's. No, but, that's a really good uh, way of putting it. And I also, well, the other thing too, that I really would like about the, you know, besides the Brom is an incredibly creative play caller and I, he would be a shakeup for, the Tennessee fan base in a way that I think would be very entertaining because this is fundamentally a very, like this is still a three yards and a cloud of dust program at heart. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is, this is still, you know, the quarterback's arm rears back to throw and everyone in the stand goes, what's he doing? Wait, what's he doing? <laughs> like, this is the, they're not as, they're not as screamy about it as Georgia, but these, this is a people. And I include myself in this who are deeply uncomfortable when the ball is in the air um, and I just, I would love to see, I, I would love to see that kind of, you know, that kind of creativity play out in Neil and just because it's something that I've never really seen before. Yeah. And he kind of made it work with two quarterbacks this year, which is even weirder. Uh, he actually sort of pulled off a, I mean, he played favorites after a while, I guess, but like send uh, Elijah Sendelar threw 276 passes, David Blau threw 157. Um, they, they kind of cycled back and forth and, and yeah, no, anyway, anyway, that he's, he's awesome. Um, oh, wait, I should also point out, I meant to say this earlier, Will Shelton, uh, former SB nation, Tennessee blogger also points out that apparently in the 91 season opener, we broke Jeff Brom's ankle. So for the conspiracy theorists at home, this could also be some kind of incredible long con game. That's right. He's finally got a chance to get his revenge. You know, he really just hung out at Western Kentucky to just peer over the mountains uh, (laughs) and watch us flail. Uh, and somebody else, uh, our Matt Smith uh, on, on Twitter did point out also that Jeff Brom has more road wins over bowl teams this year than Ohio State and Wisconsin combined. Ouch. Um, <laughs> I kind of I like that. I mean, it's it's one of those silly tidbits that don't really mean anything, but it still sounds pretty great. Um, but anyway, no, this is – it's uh, uh, to, to back up a couple bit though, a couple uh, paces here – one person I didn't necessarily find myself defending this week, but I almost kind of started to feel like I was after a while, uh, was Tennessee's athletic director. Nope. <laughs> um, 
here's how that came about. And this was what like, okay, so I, I made a, a, a terrible error in judgment mm-hmm. um, in getting sucked into a precedent conversation. Precedent is basically like slippery slopes, older, slightly more upscale brother. Um, but really he's just as dumb as slippery slope is. And I still got sucked in basically yesterday morning um, in, in talking, I think it was originally an exchange with Chris Brown uh, from smart football. Uh, Somebody jumped in and basically said like, what do you think about the precedent of everything that happened with Tennessee fans kind of rising up uh, and stopping a hire from happening? Um, I, I basically said with, you know, I was viewing that I always have my eye on, I've seen boosters screw too many things up before. And so my initial reaction to that question was something to the effect of, we don't need boosters playing any more of a role than they already do. This is either no precedent or bad precedent because now, now they will be even more empowered. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I started to realize after a while, uh, talk, like just seeing our quote unquote crowd, uh, you know, the Tom Fornellis, the, the Mark Ennis's, the people we interact with a ton on, on the Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I usually, I kind of, you, you kind of know how everybody's going to react to certain things, but I started to realize like, wait, the, nobody's reacting quite how I thought. Everybody seems a lot more okay with it than I, I had perceived in my head. Um, and it took me a little while to step back and realize that number one, you know, the, the, the Penn state part of this whole equation was really, really weird mm-hmm. because you can't really tell. I mean, a it's, it's one of those things that's never going to ever be, nobody's ever going to know what Shiano knew. Right. And so you can, whatever you want to see there, you can see B a lot of people were justifiably that that's, that's enough. I don't need to know anymore. I don't want to like whether he did it or not. Let's, let's find some other coach. We don't need to go down that road at all. And then some people were like, I don't like this hire. Give me a reason. Oh, Hey, Penn state. Mm. And it became impossible to, to distinguish one group from another after a while. And, um, well, and a lot of people weren't bothering to distinguish one group for another. And that's when you get me riled up. Um, I'm going (laughs) to, let me, let me walk you guys through, uh, if you're, if you're not familiar, let me walk you guys through, uh, just like a quick primer on, on this fan base and this booster set. Um, (laughs) hi, if you don't know me, I, I went to Tennessee. My parents went to Tennessee. Uh, this, this is a thing. Uh, this is the thing that I know a lot about for better and for worse, usually for worse. Um, one thing that a lot of people are not talking about right now is the fact that Tennessee is less than a year and a half off paying a multi-million dollar settlement uh, for a series uh, of sexual <laughs> assault lawsuits uh, against the athletic department. And the reason a lot of people are not talking about it is because it was settled very quietly and it didn't really, it, it didn't really make national news at the time because it was handled, you know, it, it was handled so, it was handled so rapidly uh, and without a lot of great fanfare. And therein lies the key to a, a big psychological key to this program which is the thing that you need to know about Tennessee people. And this is not saying that they are good people. Uh, This is just, this is not saying that they're bad people either. This is just the way it is (laughs) above all else. They cannot abide a scene being made. So 
this, this thing happened and I, you know, I am of the temperament that after, you know, after my time there, uh, and then after covering the program and also having, you know, having grown up around this program, I, I would, I am of the person, I'm one of those people who will automatically believe every terrible thing that you say that someone in this football program has done because the odds are in the, in that favor. You know, it's just, it's just a good guess because this settlement didn't really break wide in the news. A lot of people missed what happened right after that. Uh, if you, if you go back and look around the time that this case was settled, two other things happened right around that time that were directly connected uh, to this to this very quiet but very bad scandal, which is that Tennessee's former athletic department uh, director and the university chancellor, uh, that'd be Dave Hart and Jimmy Cheek, are no longer in their roles as athletic director and as university chancellor. There is there exists a large swath uh, of this fan base, and it is a swath that has power that wants nothing more than to not have their names in the paper, right? (laughs) They don't, they do not want attention. They think it is unseemly. This does not make them good people, but John Curry, Tennessee's new athletic director, pissed off a lot of people over the weekend because what is the one thing? And I said this myself, and I think it got misinterpreted by a lot of people. I said, that you can't have a guy with Shiano's history in this program. What I mean by that is with Tennessee's history, (laughs) you can't have that guy in this program. You can't have a guy who even has a question about him associated with this program. Tennessee's track record with this kind of thing, with assaults and cover-ups is bad. And you need someone to come in next about whom there is absolutely no doubt. So I think a lot of the outrage that you saw over the Shiano hire, uh, and I, I completely, I am not denying the existence of people who will just latch onto anything to yell. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were seeing a lot of people who were absolutely fit. Can I cuss on this podcast? I forget. Uh, we say earmuffs, earmuffs, so earmuffs. You were witnessing yep. a lot of people who were fed the fuck up after what happened in the summer of 2016, <laughs> which you saw with, uh, the yep. AD and the university chancellor being, uh, no longer welcome in the positions they held at that time. And who saw Tennessee heading right back down that path? Like yep. it, it almost, and this is, this is going to get misquoted. So I almost don't want to say it this way. It almost <laughs> doesn't matter. Like you, it's true. You don't know what Shiano knew, it almost doesn't matter. You don't Mm. hire someone with that kind of association because he's far from your only choice. (laughs) It's not like we were backed into a corner when literally every other coach out there exists. Why take this chance? And that is why a lot of people were upset with John Curry, including me, because it says that he looked at this history and it says that he didn't learn anything from his predecessor. Like you, you need to, you need to send a message with a subsequent hire with, you know, with your first big splash as AD and it was completely tone deaf. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if John Curry is no longer very long for this, for this. And that's why I was okay uh, with the, with the amount of booster outcry, which is not, 
look, aligning myself with, with the blue hairs of this program is not something I find myself doing a lot, <laughs> let me say, but uh, you know, that Mariah Carey gift, like, I don't know her. <laughs> that, John Curry does not have a great grasp of what he's dealing with here. And I, I want someone in that position who takes what happened in 2016 more seriously. You know, there are, man, I'm talking for a really long time, but I, you know, this is not something that I made a very big deal of. I have not been to a Tennessee football game since the settlement happened. Mm. The, you know, I have, I have not bought merch <laughs> uh, from the university since the settlement happened. You know, I, I have, I have friends and I have family members who feel the same way. There are a lot of people who were done with Butch after that happened, you know, including me, I chose not to support, uh, to support that program financially. Um, you know, since that happened, I love the players. I wish them the best. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people in that building who I like and respect, but I was just done, you know, after that, this was, you know, this is not the kind of, of person that I wanted associated with our program. And in Shiano between what may or may not have happened at Penn state. And also between literally everything you've ever heard his former players say <laughs> about him. I, that's not the move. Yeah. It's not the move. Okay. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done talking, but there's, there's my Tennessee monologue. No. And this was really me getting stuck on the word precedent. It was, it was a rookie Twitter error on my part because mm-hmm. like to me, like, you know, the, that part aside, the 2016 part, um, not that you can brush it to the side, but if you do for a second, like the bottom line is if you think you have identified like the guy, you're the, the guy who is absolutely going to lead you to, to quote unquote glory. And you have talked to him and you believe you truly believe that he had nothing. He knew nothing about the Penn state stuff. It was like that, that McQuarrie's testimony was incorrect, that he truly believes that. Well, Great. Like if you're, you know, it's going to be a thing, but if you are prepared to, among other things, just like get him out in front of the cameras and have him address it personally. The only thing we've ever heard anybody from his side say about it is his lawyer saying he denies it, but you know, it's going to be a thing. So fine. Like have a plan in place to address it. You know, this guy's great. You know, he's innocent. He, he didn't, he didn't do anything wrong. Great family man. Got to fit in just perfectly great with the kids. Great with everything. Then, then fine. Come but the to hill it. to die, the hill you're choosing to die on in this situation is Greg, Greg Shiano. Right. That's right. Like how, like the fact that he, he was apparently that convinced of, of Greg Shiano being the guy mm-hmm. is, um, can I enlightening? I have, okay. This is, this is not, I, I'm going to lay out what I'm going to call a hypothetical here. Okay. Um, I, I should also point out for listeners that I'm currently recovering from dental surgery. So <laughs> I, I am not in Knoxville. I am not on the phone. I am not reporting this story. I'm not, I'm not working on this story. Can I tell you something that I think might be very logical and hypothetical? Okay. So you're a new athletic director, right? You're a new athletic director, uh, in this program and you are in touch with representatives of a coach. Uh, and these representatives of, of this coach have hired something like, you know, this would be something like Tennessee's fifth coach represented by this same guy. Yeah. You, you feel comfortable, right? 
you, you feel comfortable because, you know, this is, this is your first big swing at this. And well, this is the way it's done. You, you know, you go and you get one of Jimmy Sexton's guys. <laughs> and if you are now put yourself in the, in the shoes of that representative, you've got a coach, uh, who wants a head coaching job again, yep. you know, who has had, had multiple previous head coaching jobs, uh, and, and, and in, in very strange fashion. And, <laughs> you've got a guy who wants a bigger job and you need to unload him someplace where there's not going to be a lot of friction. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, because you, you need, you need a place that's, that is both rich and can't really, and yet can't afford to be choosy at the moment. <laughs> I'm not saying that I have any kind of insider information into what happened between Jimmy Sexton's office and John Curry's office, but can you kind of see the breadcrumbs that I'm dropping in front of you? <laughs> uh, like, I think I like w- without any, w- without anything that I'm, uh, you know, prepared to report, uh, and whatnot, I'll tell you what I actually think happened, which is John Curry got played by Jimmy Sexton's people. I, it would not be the first time, uh, that that occurred, uh, in, in, in Jimmy Sexton's career. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, I, and like, and I, and I'm not, I'm saying this like John Curry is some kind of like, is some kind of, you know, foundling that we pulled in from a basket on the doorstep with a note that said, you know, free to good home. Like this is not John Curry's first time being an athletic director. John Curry is a Tennessee alum, yeah, yeah. but, but I just, you know, so he, he knows, but I really think he severely underestimated yeah. the degree to which, and this is, this is entirely on him because I'm, I'm kind of appalled that having had experience in Knoxville, that he would still make this call. <laughs> Knoxville's not a small town, but it is right. Is the, is the thing that I tell people the, the fact that Curry with, with the grounding of someone who had had spent time around this program before that his first swing in the chair, his first big swing at a big hire was to do something that was so resoundingly piss off the amen corner. Right. I, dude, you are not cut out for this. Go back to intramurals. <laughs> well, and then, I mean, like the only major sport hire he had made at K-State was Bruce Weber, um, mm-hmm. who... I, from a from a temperament standpoint, from a player treatment standpoint, it, he's not Shiano. But from a record standpoint, he kind of is Shiano. Uh, mm-hmm. Kansas State fans weren't really excited about the hire, hire to begin with. It didn't work out very well. Uh, well, and also, I mean, you know, which which you know was precipitated by him running off Frank Martin. Right. Exactly. Um, to, to South Carolina, not even to like, you know, Arizona right, or a, a, right. a real, and I can't say, I mean, it's worked out. Okay. He's still there. He's made the tournament a few times. It's fine. Um, yeah, it's fine. But there, but it's like, just like, I, the fact that you could, the, the fact that a person who like, you know, he, he's new and I think he, he got skittish and, and I, I think he kind of, I, I can definitely see him being, being told by, you know, uh, uh, an emissary of Jimmy Sexton's that, you know, well, you know, this is just how it's done. And him being like, yeah, yeah. You know, this, this is definitely how it's done. We just, we pick one of Jimmy's guys off the shelf. Oh, Hey, look, a Shiano with dust all over it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a bargain. Uh, but I, I think it speaks even more poorly of him 
that he's not just parachuting, excuse me, that he's not just parachuting into Knoxville. Like this, this guy has experience and he still made this call. And it says to me that he does not want or care about a cultural turnaround at Tennessee. Right. And I'm like, how is that not your first priority, my dude? Yeah, no, I, it, to anybody I was not arguing necessarily with yesterday, but, you know, talking to yesterday on, on Twitter and whatnot. Yeah, I, I mm. do not want it to even slightly sound like I was defending Curry. I was just envisioning boosters having more control than they already do over, over a given situation. And that's terrifying. Oh, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not crazy about that either. It's just that I think that is, that is the, yeah, that is the name on the particular buzzsaw that he ran into. (laughs) He has made a scene and it's, it's not even, it's not even that I think, you know, I don't want to say that every single one of those boosters who was protesting was like, you know, we can't have a guy associated with Penn State. I, I do believe that there are people who will just latch onto anything right. because it's what they don't want. And it, it it's it's something that you can't really it's kind of a bulletproof yelling argument. Right. But here's the other thing. Here, here's the thing where it gets a little meta. And um, this isn't rhetorical. I'm actually asking. I've been thinking a lot about. You know, obviously, over the past couple of years, you know, rape culture in in sports has come come to the forefront of the discussion in a way that it never has before. It's here to stay. Uh, I think that's I think that's great. I think that discussion needs to take place. Here's something that I've been thinking about a lot, and I don't have an answer for. I don't think that Greg Schiano would make any strides whatsoever towards changing the culture at Tennessee in terms of, uh, the way people treat women, like, because look how he treats his players. You telling me he cares about his players, girlfriends, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's, that's something that I have a hard tr- time believing. If Shiano was run out of this job before he even got it. And the reasons for that job were not entirely pure of heart in, in the hearts of everyone trying to run him off. Mm-hmm. Which matters more? Right. Do you are you results oriented in this situation, or are you process oriented in this situation? And I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. But it's something I've been going round and round with. Like, which should we care about more? And well, right. And, and with some with something like that, like who's going to make the culture better? You don't necessarily know who will, but you have a pretty good idea who won't. Right. And if and it's not like it's not like they had a list of ten guys and. At, the idea that there will be no one to take this job is ridiculous <laughs> because you go far. No, you just keep going down. You keep yeah, no. going down the experience ladder, right? You, there will always be a mid-major guy. There will always be, you know, a Joe Moorhead somewhere. Congrats, Mississippi State, yeah. uh, for making what I think is truly excellent hire. Yeah. Um, there will always be a coordinator somewhere who is willing to take this shot. The idea that there's nobody else that will take this job for any school, uh, you know, is absolutely ridiculous. And he's not your only, he's not your only choice. And for people to pretend that Tennessee has put themselves out of, you know, out of contention with this, I think is laughable. There will always be somebody wanting to coach this SEC program for millions and millions of dollars a year. Stop that. Maybe you overpay. But that's really, yeah. the, I mean, well, you, maybe you overpay and maybe you get, maybe you get a guy who's, who's younger and who's less experienced, uh, you know, than you'd like. But I, I am going to be thinking for a very long time about 
you know, about this, about this situation, because like outside of the, of the Tennesseeness of it all and of, of being in this bubble, I'm, you know, I'm not entirely, I'm comfortable with the results of this. I am not entirely comfortable with the process of this, of how this went down. And I don't know which matters more. And I'm going to be thinking about that for a long time, I think. Usually it's process to me, but yeah. Uh, yeah, no, this was, and, and by the way, to circle back to the, to the last part of the thing, the last thing I wanted to say about the whole quote unquote precedent thing, there is no precedent. This is, it was dumb of me to go down that road because all I heard about two years ago in the Missouri protests was the word precedent and how this, ch- this is going to change. You know, everybody's going to be protesting. There's going to be boycott. No, there, there were none. Mm-hmm. It was extremely special circumstances, just like right now at Tennessee, it's an extremely special circumstance with the specific name and the specific athletic director and the specifics. So it was just dumb all the way around. And I apologize. And the other thing about precedent and boosters and all this is boosters are always going to have a stupid amount of control. And this doesn't change that. So anyway, dumb argument all the way around on my part. Uh, you know, it's Twitter. So every, I'm sure everybody will forgive me, but. You know. <laughs> and I, I just want to say for the record, while while we are here, um, I know I have, I have had my, I've had my own differences with the Missouri population this year. <laughs> so let me do, let me do a return favor in kind. Um, Tennessee people yelling at Bill, stop it. We, we are all of us. We are all of us in uncharted territory. And let's can, you know, uh, of all the people on the internet of which you can assume good faith arguments, uh, <laughs> Bill is one of the best. I'm not just saying this because he invited me on the podcast when I was on a post-surgical high. Um, two things, Perfect. two things that I want to, that I wanted to touch on before we, I mean, we can move on from yeah. this or not, but two things I wanted to touch on. Tennessee also, uh, as a fan base makes itself a fairly easy target with things like the hollering for Gruden, which I went back <laughs> and looked, I have been making jokes about John Gruden coming to Tennessee and, and how, you know, and how awful that would be for nine oh. years on Twitter. Um, Tennessee makes itself a pretty easy target for people to say those people are ridiculous with the Gruden thing. However, I do believe that the degree to which uh, several national media outlets and members uh, have overestimated the degree, the number of Tennessee people who actually wanted and thought they were getting John Gruden, it, it's high. <laughs> it's high. Like it's it's a meme at this point, guys. You know, Tennessee. You know, it's a joke that John Gruden's wife was a cheerleader at Tennessee and his third cousin saw Ferris Bueller pass out at 31 flavors last night. And John Gruden was there to catch him as he fell. I we're hill jacks. We still got memes. It's okay. It's okay. Both things can be true, as Jason Kirk (laughs) was saying, that Tennessee makes itself an easy target for this kind of joke. And also that for a majority a clear majority of this fan base. John Gruden coming to Tennessee is a joke. We're in on it, dum-dums. I, I really enjoyed the way Rocky Top Talk went about the, the groomers. Um, mm-hmm. Just uh, like enjoying the nonsense a little bit and reporting every, breathlessly reporting every single one of them, but clearly being in on the joke at the same time. I thought that was, I thought they did mm-hmm. a lovely job there. Um, and yes, two, by the two, way, by the way, scrolling by on the Twitter line now is Bruce Feldman saying nothing is imminent yeah. regarding a Tennessee yeah. coaching hire. Nothing is truer than this first sentence. Mm, nothing is ever imminent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the time that it's taken us to, to have this discussion, it's gone from Brom likely to maybe 
So this is what I'm everything that you saw in the timeline as we started was coming off that one Jimmy Hyams tweet and everybody, everybody kind of ran with it. But I, I tweeted right as we were starting, uh, please open your hymnals to page 67 and sing along. It's not real until he's at the podium. But to your point about going on down the list, um, without doing the, uh, the obligatory Pete Carroll was the sixth pick at U- USC. Thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. And Butch was the fifth. How'd that work out? Right. Jeff Brom is the third, I guess, third ish, fourth, whatever. <sighs> and you know, Chad Morris is, is, uh, is there somewhere like there's a, there, like are a lot of good there are a lot of good coaches in the world. And, and yeah, I, I like Chad Morris a lot. I, I had, and in that, I say that both in the sense of, I like Chad Morris, uh, as a play caller and yeah. also, Chad Morris was an amazing storyteller at Clemson, and I really liked interviewing him. He likes so. math too, so I mean, he covers yeah. all the, he, he covers yeah. all the bases as far as I'm concerned. Chad Morris was a was a fantastic storyteller. Uh, I have not interacted with him in his capacity at SMU, but when he was at Clemson, uh, Chad Morris could win a press conference. Yeah. So if you're one of those people who's worried about that, uh, that's cool. No, I, I'm bummed to miss out on Gundy though because I feel yeah. like. I feel like if he, I mean, you know, he's a, he's a football coach, so he's a terrible human being. <laughs> um, but I know he listens to this podcast, of course. but I feel like his squirrel hunting ethos would have fit him very well in Knoxville. I don't feel like there is a squirrel hunting or coach uh, available on the market right now. He, he really like few others manages to stay above the nonsense too. Like uh, any sort mm-hmm. of nonsense that Tennessee, the Tennessee fan base would be able to kind of coordinate. Oh shit. No, he'll barrel touch right into touch He'll barrel right into it and yell at him. <laughs> no, I mean, God, he, he tore a strip off, uh, your friend and mine, Martin Rickman, at a press conference just for oh, working for right. Sports Illustrated. Right. Mike, wait, I don't know if you know this. Uh, some of you have heard me tell this story on Shutdown Fullcast. Mike Gundy is the guy who once stopped an interview with me to explain to me what the word turnovers meant. <laughs> Mike, Mike Gundy is a dick, man. But here's the thing. I don't need to like my coach. Uh, I, don't, I don't need to like my coach beyond things like uh, – Say, if you had a Tyreek Hill situation uh, right. come up like that in Knoxville, how would you handle it? Done. Those are the I don't like you questions that yeah. I want resolved. I don't care if my coach is an asshole, man. Yeah, no, he he has proven because um, he like when in the September piece, like he, he really did like 18 different times. I think I only wrote it once, but I mean, he went back to, uh, constantly back to. Uh, like acting right, treating people right. And he has, Mm -hmm. he has the card to play. He, the Tyreek Hill card to lay down and say, see, told you he just won us. He he won us Bedlam and I kicked him off this team the next week. Yeah. This is why, well, and this is why, you know, people are going around saying Tennessee should call Bob Stoops. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Earmuffs. Sorry. Earmuffs. earmuffs. Reverse, reverse future earmuffs. But you have got to be kidding me. Yes, we, oh. have, we have to say earmuffs because dads listen to this podcast in the car with their kids. So, um, sorry, sorry, dads sorry, dads and your children, but kids, if your dad listens to Godfrey on a regular basis, yeah, it's, you it's should be through. getting used to hearing him curse. Yeah, it slipped through a few times. All good. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's well, let's um, let's shift gears because oh, this, is, this, is a, <laughs> this is a midweek show, uh, and there is one more week in the season. Therefore, we have games to talk about still. Uh, let's. You know, like San Diego at North Dakota State, that kind of thing. Um, hey, so, hey, hey, Troy and Arkansas State man. would like your attention, sir. Yes. Um, I I am mad at, at them. I'm mad at the schedule, basically, because 
Uh, now, granted, there are a lot of very important games to fit into like four slots, and that's fine. Uh, mm. But it's like everybody uh, avoided the afternoon to to the degree where Troy, Arkansas State is at uh, six thirty Central Time. Fresno State, Boise State is not kicking off at ten p.m. Eastern, like like God <laughs> intended. It's kicking off fifteen minutes before Clemson, Miami, and Ohio State, Wisconsin. Like, no, how, how does that happen? Mm. Boise State, like every Boise State home game is at night and this one's not, or at least not, not as much night. I mean, I was going to say, it'll be two, what, 245 in Boise. It'll be dark. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, it's North Pole basically. Yeah, no, um, I, I resent the, I resent the clumping of this schedule because, and I, I resent it. Do you resent these, these, uh, crowdings, these bottlenecks in the schedule more as you get closer to the end of the season? I find that I do because it's like, <laughs> I'm very more, I'm more aware that we only have so much of this left. <laughs> right. Uh, and I, I'm going to resent having to channel flip between Miami Clemson and Ohio State, Wisconsin. And I also want to watch Fresno, Boise State, because Fresno's ranked. What the hell happened? <laughs> no, yeah, my numbers love Fresno State. I'm still not completely sure how. Um, but, like, that, that's going to be a legitimately good game. And it, it was begging to be the game that we wa- turn over to after Clemson, Miami, and Ohio State, Wisconsin are over. You'd catch at least mm-hmm. a half of the game. And now we're not going to catch a single second of the game. Uh, bad, bad ESPN. Um, oh, no. Man, and I okay. Can I also say making Memphis and UCF play at noon? Noon Eastern, yeah. Noon Eastern in or like put that game in prime time, man. Make that a late night kick. Make it like <laughs> make it a fireworks spectacular. You're in Oregon. The game is on. By the way, this game is on ABC proper. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not saying bump Miami Clemson from the slot, but wouldn't it have been cool to have the Miami Clemson game uh, at eight Eastern? And then at like 1130 Eastern after a fireworks spectacular, you have Memphis and UCF. I would watch the hell out of that. Yeah. It's a a rather big game for UCF. They're going to, they're going to attend no matter when. Um, (sighs) But yeah, no, we've got a a clump uh, in the early shift, uh, almost nothing in the middle and then a a big clump at the end. And it's just a clump in the early shift. That's a great headline. (laughs) So before the, before the early shift though, on Friday, uh, we have Stanford versus USC. It's funny, like uh, in, <laughs> in the perma about- dark of Santa Clara. God, what a bad stadium! Yeah, I, like you have the Rose Bowl at your disposal. Like I know, it's- but yeah, but what so- you really want is well, I was gonna say what you really want is a five hundred mile drive for each team. But at least Stanford, at least Stanford is there. Have you ever been to Levi's? I, I have not. I really don't have an intention to. But. I was. I was. I don't recommend this. I was there uh, a few years back for the uh, for the. What was it? The Rich Rod Mark Helfrich, uh, ah, yeah, 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 Pac-12 title game, and it's Spencer really nailed this when he said it's like the stadium looks like a giant old Navy outlet, but <laughs> there's it is one of the worst environments that I've ever been in, and it's certainly the worst environment I've ever been in of its kind. It's the worst new stadium I've ever been in because it is. It's very strange. It simultaneously feels, and this was exacerbated by crowds having to travel from Tucson and Eugene to Santa Clara on a Friday to play this game, uh, Friday in a rush hour to play this game. But it's the, the stadium is simultaneously has this feeling of being way too big for the game, but also really claustrophobic because the sides of it are basically straight up. And it's, it's this very weird, like it, it feels like the stadium that they play the Quidditch world cup in, 
in the Harry Potter movies where it's just like a giant <laughs> silo and everything's whirring around inside it. You know, you can't see any of uh, the beautiful surrounding landscape or what would be beautiful landscape if you hadn't put this in a Santa Clara office park. Um, it's, I, I feel so bad for the Pac-12 teams, you know, having to play this game. Make it a home and home, man. Who cares? Yeah, seriously. Didn't they do that the like, first Even year? if you don't put it at the Rose Bowl every year, and you should, this would be so much better at the Coliseum or at Stanford, which has a really underrated game day atmosphere. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I – it's – and, of course, you know, having it close to Stanford, which, I mean, even at its best, that, that fan base is not – the most passionate in the uh, <coughs> conference uh, or Berkeley. Now but, I really like Stan. I, I shouldn't say this. When I say underrated atmosphere, I don't mean that like student sections with their stomachs painted. I right. mean that I've said this before and no one believes me. Stanford reminds me very strongly of a certain section of Alabama, like, like the, the mommies in the black escalades, the, the players, moms in the escalades who will, you know, show up in their beautifully, and they're beautifully coiffed hair and blouses and like tailgate on the quad. <laughs> like everybody's, you know, everybody's pulling their China and whatnot out of the back of their like Lexus and infinity SUVs. But there are all these eucalyptus trees surrounding the tailgate area. And there are a lot of enthusiastic grillers and the combination of like the eucalyptus smell and the meat smoke. It's heavenly. I, I, I very uninformed dived into a Stanford uh, fan base conversation. I will say though, my, that the PAC 12 fans that I did experience, mm-hmm. even at UCLA and then USC are still football fans who tailgate. So yes. I, I yes. should always, and if you I, like one of my favorite Godfrey pieces, um, I, I don't need to compliment Godfrey while he's not here, but you know, bonus. Um, I think it was like, Oh, you think he listens to the show when he's not, I, I can't it? imagine he does, but no. you know, maybe, um, back in like 2013 or 14, he went to, he did like an Oregon Stanford game and he basically just walked around the tailgates and talked to Stanford fans. One of my favorite pieces that Godfrey's ever done. I think. Oh, was, I think I was at that same game. Was it like, the, <laughs> was it like the Thursday night Oregon game? Uh, it was definitely an Oregon game. Um, yeah, yeah. I, if it was, I don't know why we would remember what day of the week he wrote this piece <laughs> on, but yeah, I have, I have been to a, I actually, I think that speaks more of them because it occurs to me the only game I've ever been to at Stanford was a weeknight game. Uh, and they, you know, the stadium wasn't full, but the grounds surrounding it were rocking, man. It was a great environment. <laughs> no, I, that's still one of my favorite pieces he's written. And it kind of is a, it is a reminder that everybody's got a little bit of a culture. The size changes, mm-hmm. but um, like, you know, and that, I guess that goes for like, you know, D2 as well. But anyway, yeah. Um, They're way better grillers than you would expect those people would be. That's the one thing I remember about my USC tailgate. I'll put that like that was some of the best food I've, I've, the best grill food I've had. But anyway, um, so it is a game that is going to happen on. Technically, theoretically, it's a game. We can't prove that it's happening because you can't see into or out of the stadium. And um, the winner will get to go to Pasadena. And I don't know what else to say about it. Really USC ran all over Stanford and it felt weird watching that happen and maybe it'll happen again, but you know, we know, Stan- I don't know. Like I I've, I've struggled to break down this game beyond that. The first game, the first game felt very out of character for Stanford. Uh, and maybe that means it won't happen a second time. All of Stanford's losses have felt out of character for Stanford yeah. this year. Have you noticed that? <laughs> 
well, like slipping up to San Diego State. Like well, because besides the team. besides the USC loss, you know, I think Stanford kind of because of that USC loss, you know, Stanford kind of flew under the radar for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Their other two losses are three point losses to San Diego State and Wazoo. Wazoo yeah. What? And then of course they beat Oregon State fifteen fourteen. I I can't blame you. I don't have a clue where to put the needle on Stanford this year. No, they like looked, and I have 11 games of evidence or 12 games of evidence, and I don't know where to put the needle on Stanford. They, they looked like Stanford against UCLA. They looked like Stanford against Arizona State, against Notre Dame, uh, against Oregon. And then they were something else against Oregon State and Washington State and, and San Diego State and USC. But um, yeah, and that, well, they, the, the pattern in which they follow up, you know, a 3.1714 win at Cal with a 38-20 shellacking yeah. of Notre Dame. <laughs> and, and that, I mean, granted, that was one of the most awe-inspiring quick turnarounds I've ever seen. But still, when they, when they got the hammer in, they, in their hand, they laid it down. Um, yeah. And well, I remember no I, was, and I was watching something else. Uh, I, was, I was watching something else when they were playing Notre Dame. And I remembered that it was in, like, my previous five channels. And it, <laughs> I, think, I think everything else was on commercial and I flipped over to Stanford Notre Dame, and I was like, "Wait a second. Yeah, no, it was like 19 seconds. The game completely changed. But yeah, um, no, they they've been weird, and I don't know what to think about them. Uh, and, and I feel I mean, better hearing you say that <laughs> <laughs> because I am not being, you know, being more of an artist uh, of football than a scientist of football. I I feel more secure when I hear that the numbers don't know what to <laughs> no. do either. No, and I mean, USC, we kind of know what to expect from USC. Stanford, mm-hmm. as weird as this sentence is, Stanford is a wild card. Um, that doesn't, like, they're supposed to be the known quantity. But um, anyway, we will watch. I Actually, no, I will not be watching that game because I'll be on an airplane uh, and I will land at like 930. But anyway, I'll catch, uh, I'm going to, to D.C. quickly for a, uh, for a, a meeting, uh, an SBN meeting, and then flying straight back. Uh, so this, but, you know, if that's the game I miss, I will live. Um, I'll catch the ending, I guess. Mm-hmm. But then we move on to Saturday morning, uh, morning being a central time zone, uh, <clears throat> thing, 11 AM central. Hey, it's We've, nine here, man. I got to drag my ass out of bed before breakfast. To I, watch I thought game. I would hate that the one time I went out there for a piece and I loved it. Like that a was a lot just of people awesome. I know love it. And a lot of those people are dads because they're always up so, at five anyway. No, no, I'm up. I'm up. So it's, it's all good. But like, uh, but, I like to get my errands done during the like i freeze because i like to get my errands done in the morning and then like settle in for the day yeah um because like you know the games are done at 10 o'clock here but there's nothing usable to do at 10 o'clock you know i can't go on a grocery run (laughs) after ohio state and wisconsin are done (laughs) no it was uh, but i'll do it i will get up at nine for you memphis for you that's right we've got memphis at ucf on abc we've got north texas at fau on uh, espn2 we've got akron toledo and it, this does feel like the offloading time like all right just get this all mm-hmm. uh we got akron we've toledo. got all our remaindered football content when, when since when is akron that's supposed to be a friday night game too by the way that's supposed to be the early friday night game before the pac-12 but even they're crammed into saturday yeah um, which means I, I, you know, I won't watch because I'll be watching Oklahoma TCU on Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got a, a little a smattering of FCS at that point. But those are the those are the FBS games. And um, uh, man, like OU, we're, you know, to, spoiler, uh, we have 
if, if OU loses to TCU and therefore gets eliminated from the playoff because of the Big 12 title game's existence in the first year of the Big 12 title <laughs> game's resistance, we will be doing one hell of a victory lap around 2 to 3 p.m. on Saturday. I don't think we will be, get to do that because I've gr- come to a place where I kind of trust Oklahoma, but beating Gary Patterson twice in the same year sounds terrifying. Yeah, like you... <laughs> You kind of get this, and I'm not just saying this because they're both real short, but you get the feeling that he is a Saban type with his preparation (laughs) of these rematches in that you may have slept or eaten or told people in their life, in your life that you care about them between your first and your second meeting. I can guarantee you Gary Patterson hasn't. He's like, (laughs) he's got like a Soylent IV and he's just watching tape and figuring out ways to make you embarrassed. Yeah, he knows every single thing his team did wrong uh, the first time mm-hmm. they played OU. When it and was, he uh, has not gone to, you know, he says them in a list every night before he goes to sleep, like <laughs> Aria planning murders. And he's got all his players wear headphones and these things are transmitted to them while they sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, I mean, that was just a, it was a weird game because it got out of hand real quick on, on TCU. It was like 24-7 early in the yeah. second quarter, I think. Um, it was just kind of a blitz and I would be shocked if that happens. Maybe OU wins, but they're going to have to fight four quarters this time. It's not going to be like a, Hey, we get holy crap. We get to basically take the second half off. That's not going to happen. Um, I, I fully expect a a full four quarters there, but, uh, no, I mean, at this point I really do. I've seen enough from OU. My numbers still hate their defense. I don't like their defense, but I'm really kind of stumped as to how you stop. Baker I'm sorry. Mayfield. Are you saying that you lack confidence in a Mike Stoops unit heading into a game of significance? I'm proud of Lincoln Riley for not immediately firing Mike Stoops to bring his own guy in. There's, you know, a succession plan at play there and everything. He let that all play out. I would be very impressed if Mike Stoops is the defensive coordinator a year from now. You got to figure he's got his list in mind and Mike Stoops is going to end up like the next whatever Youngstown State ish kind of head. Oh, coach. God. Tennessee is going to hire Mike Stoops. There you go. No. <laughs> hey, he's got head coaching experience. And... I, I know. <laughs> I like it. No, I, I should say this. Here, here's my problem with Mike Stoops. Mike Stoops needs to remain in the booth because when Mike Stoops remains in the booth, we get uh, between play shots of Mike <laughs> Stoops jumping up in rage in the booth <laughs> and banging his knees on the little school desks that they have to sit on up there. And that's funny to me. Yeah, no, nothing's better than watching the coaches in the booth react to something where you can't hear them. You and nobody so, so does that better than Mike Stoops. <laughs> He's like a little rage terrarium up there. No, I am curious. I, I do... Like it just seems like he's not going to get fired, but it just seems like it, this is a very good opportunity for him to find an FCS head coaching job or some other job, and everybody can go along their happy way. I would be surprised if Riley keeps him. Okay, you have Oklahoma bona fides. Sure. How do you think Oklahoma... Uh, as as a people would react to the ousting of Mike Stoops. Um, I think he has been a scapegoat for like six years already. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this was one of those like Bob just won't fire his brother, which he 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 wouldn't. But mm-hmm. um, I, and I, think I agree th- that it was a good move, like continuity wise, for for Lincoln to leave him in place this year. But how do you think the fan base would react if he was outright fired? I. I think firing would be a little weird because, you know, yeah, you, you, you find him another job and everybody can say, well, thanks, Mike. It just, you know, it's time for a change. I think they would probably get over it though. I, I think they've, uh, they've grown to not necessarily love him very much at this point. And that it, it would be 
they would still turn it into a, it was just time for a change. Still love you, Mike kind of thing. I believe they, you know, all, all fan bases have that, that ability to rationalize such a thing uh, in a self-serving way. Um, so no, I don't think it would be an issue. They did manage to give up 31 points to West Virginia's backup last week. Woo! Was, um, <laughs> now garbage time, garbage time. A lot of, hey, a lot of hey, hey, okay. It's not. Yeah. Okay. I was, I, I felt that it was only, you know, I'm not one of those people who I, I wanted all the players to come out for the coin toss without Baker holding their crotches, like oh in solidarity. God. So I'm not saying that ba- Baker Mayfield should have been suspended because I don't think you should ever be suspended for something that was funny. Um, <laughs> I'll be a great parent. Um, but I do think that I did think for a second about like getting a little histrionic about it. Cause you know, Will, Will Greer's down to nine fingers. It's really only fair that, uh, that yeah, yeah, you should, you should definitely sit Baker while Oklahoma is playing against West Virginia's backup quarterback because of the children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, yeah. I was, I, I was impressed that it was only one try. You know, Kyler Murray comes in. It was, Poor two Kyler Murray. Plays. It was two plays, which I love that because that's almost more like, that's almost more, I think what message board people would call disrespectful. That's <laughs> almost more flippant than not suspending him at all. I know. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree I, that I, losing the captaincy was, was a big deal. And, and yeah. I, I'm sure that, that Baker felt that. And if I were, if I were an NFL scout, I, I would not worry about the cross grab so no. much as I would, as I would worry about the idea, the concept, the very clear notion that uh, Baker Mayfield can be gotten to emotionally. Yes. That's what I said. I I think it was on here. It was a radio or something uh, last week, just that Kansas got what they wanted out of that. Mm-hmm. Like they got in his head and stayed in his head. Yeah. And, and now if, if, you know, if I were Baker's coach, I'm not worried about him grabbing his junk. I'm worried about the fact that, you know, that other people, other teams, anybody who saw that knows that he can be gotten to. Yeah. Um, by the way, Kyler Murray, you know, the next OU started. Kyler Murray, you know, gosh, where have I heard in, that name? In this game, uh, you know, in his brief appearance, uh, I guess plus some in garbage time, he ended up two for two for 52 yards and three carries for 80 yards. So um, yeah, not bad yeah, yeah. Per, per carry, not bad. Uh, he should be okay next year. Um, all right, so then we move on to the afternoon uh, stretch. By the way, this is around 1 p.m. Central is when you get the boatload of FCS. So pull up ESPN3, watch the fight in Jason Kirk's Kennesaw State at J- at Jacksonville State. Uh, go plank. <laughs> go plank. Uh, and you'll have it right on your laptop as you watch the other games. It'll be great. Uh, they run a fun offense. Then at, uh, let's see. So then at three o'clock or three 30, uh, no three o'clock, uh, central time. You've got, of course, the one afternoon game, the main event, sec title game, Auburn versus Georgia. Um, I'm putting together a piece for this tomorrow where, where I think the premise is basically going to be like, because this is, you know, in, in, in so many other sports, we have best of seven or best of five or whatever. And if Auburn, Georgia had been game one of a best of five, we would be looking at this right now as, okay, well, how does Georgia adjust? What changes do they make to, you know, with their blocking and the things that kind of got to them and, you know, how do they protect from a little better and, and all that. But because this is football, it's like everybody I've talked to over the last few days, it's, it's basically been kind of an assumption. Auburn won, therefore Auburn will win. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, like every football game is like a referendum uh, yeah. until the next one. That's a really so. good way of putting it. And it's really true. And it's really frustrating. 
<laughs> but at the same time, like, so that's, that's going to be the, pr- the, the, the premise of the piece is going to be like, what can Georgia do differently? But at the same time, I watched like this Auburn team has now made Georgia's offensive line and just offense in general and Alabama's offensive line and offense in, ge- in general, just lose their composure entirely. Yeah. And that's that's amazing. What, it was so interesting to see, I don't know, after, you know, the, the, the kick six, uh, the kick six game, you know, the kick six year still mm. looms so largely, you know, over the iron bowl, but also, what was I still think the weirder game than the kick six was uh, the Georgia game that Auburn played directly before that. Yeah. Um, And it was of all the ways that you thought Auburn might win this football game. Anywhere in your mind was the Auburn will have their foot on Alabama's neck throughout the entire (laughs) football game. Did that come up on the wheel? And Alabama will botch back-to-back snaps to kill a drive. Well, to basically kill a drive. They got obviously they got bailed out by the twelve men. And, yeah, uh, but that yeah, like, like that, back was, to that back. was not anywhere on my bingo card. And they will bait Brian Dable into uh, to c- completely forgetting that he has running backs that are good. And Damian Harris will get like whatever it was six carries. That was wild. Uh, it was great. Like yeah, it really is. Like Auburn is the mentally strong team right now. And that's an amazing thing to say. Yeah, it was, I, I'm divided on my loyalties for this game because I, uh, you can't choose who you love, which is why I am married to a Georgia (laughs) fan. Um, and obviously I would like for him to go watch his team in the Rose bowl, which is 15 minutes from where we live. Um, however, I think it would be really funny. I, I, I got to pull for Auburn in this game because I love the idea of going of drawing a direct line from this is a fire Gus year to Gus is in the playoff. Or Arkansas. I love this. Oh, next game Gus loses. He's coming to Arkansas. Oh crap. He never lost. Yeah. Also, if you, man, I, I still have my, my little pet, my little pet hatred, which is I would love for Mark Rick to end up in the playoff and Georgia shut out. <laughs> I know I I've, I've accepted like I, I have. Because Mark Rick is not a petty person and I enjoy watching him pretend that he's not petty. <laughs> No, I, I, I will forever really like Mark Richt and I, you know, listeners of this podcast are basically anything I wrote after he was fired. Like I, I I was virulent in like Georgia better know what the hell it's doing right now because you just uh, like this never, almost never works. And you just fired a good dude uh, basically because you didn't want some other school to get Kirby smart. And um, it, it has indeed worked out for them. I, yeah. Uh, I still think so far. It's, it's funny. I still think they it's, this is a, this is another weird, like philosophical quibble, but just because it's worked out doesn't mean that firing Rick was the right decision. No, yeah, Process versus outcome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's another one to go. Still. That's another one to go round and round with, but man, how often does this happen? This, and you know, people have been saying this all year, but how often does this happen where it works out for both parties? I know. Yeah. Like this everybody's was, happy. Um, that never happens. No, and and when I did that whole Glenn Mason territory idea the other day, I mean, I, I mentioned that like Richt is kind of the exception. There are some exceptions, like, um, Cle- well, Clemson, Clemson is Swinney is is the like exception to like thirty eight different rules. At yeah, this point. yeah. Uh, like it, none of that should have worked in it, and they won a damn national title. But, um, but no, Georgia is the one team that basically got away with saying we're too good for ten wins. Uh, and then they then they won eleven, and which is and, why and I would once, really like once. to see them shut out. <laughs> right, no, and it's only happened once. So, 
we do not know if it will happen again. We don't know what, what, what the future has in store, but so far it has worked out. And uh, there is still a possibility that Auburn beats Georgia and Miami beats Clemson and uh, Mark Rick goes to the playoff before Georgia does. And, yeah. and uh, I mean, this is not to say, you know, Mark Rick has been dealt a little spite of its, of his own because, you know, being, being lauded as a quarterback guy for so long, uh, what's it like to watch Georgia lose Jake? Hey, remember when the Georgia quarterback, everybody was scared to play for the next three years was Jacob Eason. Right. (laughs) Uh, And behold, you know, it's Georgia. So what do you always have on hand? Another white guy named Jake. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I'm curious now, does Eason now transfer to Miami, by the way? Um, Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, you got to figure with, with, with Eason and then with, what's his name, Fields? I mean, not with Eason, with Fromm and then this Fields kid. Um, Eason's <laughs> hair would do fantastically well uh, in the Miami climate, I have to say. It would be very lofty. I was about to say, it would just kind of curl up on top of itself, I think. Well, then he um, would get those, like, he could get, like, those Pharaoh waves, right? That's true. I know that this is what your listeners tune in for. Oh, no, no. I mean, it's... We, we try to stick to football and then everybody always like this, the times we don't is the, the things that people enjoy the most, but um, no, I'm, I'm all for it. And then, he, you know, and then he wins a national title at Miami and, and everything's right in the world. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, no, I, 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 because my eyes saw the Georgia game, I assume Auburn wins again, but I am I, like the tomorrow's piece is basically going to be a challenge to myself to, mm. okay. Like paint a picture of how Georgia rebounds now. I feel like um, this is a win-win for me personally, either based <laughs> on like spite or based on like marital happiness. Right. Yeah. You win. Either so way. this, this works. I, I will be happy with either, with either outcome for this game, which is good because uh, the rest of my household, um, we'll, we'll be, I'm going to have to like chain him up in the yard. If this happens again, you know, he went to that game, right? You know, Doug flew cross country to go to one Georgia game this year. And it was the Georgia. Game. Oh <laughs> God. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's, man. Now yeah. maybe I will root for Georgia. That's just sad. No, right no, there. don't. It was really funny. Yeah. You might want to. <laughs> Ah, six thirty p.m. Central Time, <laughs> the evening slot. Troy at Arkansas State at ES- on ESPN two. You can watch that for fifteen minutes and then turn over to Fresno State at Boise Excuse State. Me, number twenty five, Fresno State. That's right, <laughs> at Boise That's State. Go, so Jeff. Jeff Tetford. Um, it was a good year for recycling. Jeff Tetford, Butch. Uh, I almost said Butch Jones, Butch Davis. Um, but of course, Lane Kiffin, I guess, counts as well. A lot of a lot of recycle coaches doing very very well this year. I am a I am a Jeff Tedford enthusiast uh, as as a from a schematic standpoint anyway. So this that was another case where uh, just talking about process got me in trouble because I liked Jeff, Jeff Tedford. I thought he was a decent hire, but I still hated that they hired him when they did because they should have looked around. That's just dumb. Uh-huh. They 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 made a good hire. I'll I'll get rid of the rest. Um, 7 p.m. Central Time, Clemson versus Miami on ABC. 7 p.m. Central Time on uh, Fox. We've got Ohio State, Wisconsin. And 7 p.m. Central Time on ESPN3, Weber State at Southern Utah. Um, I'm going to skip that one. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, sorry, Weber fans. Um, Well, first of all, Troy, Arkansas State. I always pick, at this point, I always pick Arkansas State to win a Sunbelt game. And I'm, I'm right basically all but once per season. Yeah. They, they, you know, whatever. I love, I love Troy, I, and I love what they're what they're doing. And it sounds like they might keep their guy for another year at this point because he has not been mentioned for nearly as many jobs as I expected. 
Yeah, uh, I, I, I I'm trying to figure out. I was I was talking about this to somebody earlier, and I'm um you know when when coaching hires came up, and I'm I I'm trying to figure out where exactly the star faded on him. Like, did he just you know because it's not like the team hasn't you know it's it's not like the team has fallen off during the year, but right. where I I feel like earlier in the year we were really 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 you know ev- everyone really jumped on Neil Brown. Uh, after the LSU game, and right. then oh wait, well, never won, mind. I did. forgot what happened the next week, which is they turned yeah, around and lost to South yeah, Alabama. They laid a spectacular egg the next week, but since then they've been dominant again for the most part. They're nine and two. Yeah, um, they're going to finish either nine and three or ten and two. I guess technically, you know, we, this is early in the carousel too. We could have a situation where like Norvell goes from Memphis to Arkansas and he gets promoted to Memphis if he wants it. Mm. Uh, so t- theoretically, he could still get some interest. But uh, yeah, we I kind of expected this to be one of those names where like halfway through the season we're getting annoyed because he's being brought up for other jobs. It's really and funny, and I couldn't. I was like, I couldn't remember why I was. Like, why did we quit on Neil Brown again? Oh, yeah. oh, Cause, cause they, right. they patted themselves on the back for a week, which means we're also to the point in the year when I'm saying, seriously, I don't think losing to South Alabama at home should disqualify you from being hired <laughs> elsewhere. How bad is that? All they, all they did was then get trounced by Georgia Southern. I mean, what's the big deal? It's uh, fine. Georgia Southern, by the way, has wait, no, they beat, they beat Georgia Southern, totally, huh? they beat Georgia Southern, didn't they? Uh, I think they were the team that got stomped. Hold no, on. no, no. They beat they they swept the the Georgia S's, I believe. Uh, uh, hold on. Okay, so Georgia. No, no, no. It was it was South Alabama. No, yeah. It oh, was, sorry. Um, I'm talking about Troy. Yeah, no, Troy. No, I'm talking about South oh, Alabama. Okay, sorry. Um, South Alabama. Sorry, South uh, Alabama. Was, sorry, Troy, Troy was at Georgia State the next week and beat them. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, uh, South Alabama goes to, to Georgia Southern, 0-9 Georgia Southern, and gets beaten by 52. And, and Joey Jones basically had to resign on the spot at that point. Yeah. Um, but no, they they Georgia Southern, by the way, uh, they just, I saw they hired the interim, uh, Lunsford, because he takes over. They're competitive against uh, Appalachian State, sort of. Mm-hmm. And then they uh, crushed South Alabama, beat Louisiana Lafayette. They're back. Mm-hmm. Georgia Southern's back. And they didn't even have to look outside their own little their house um fresno boise i I mean what i I assume boise wins but i good for jeff tedford and they want they beat boise last week so that should be a good game that we will watch um (laughs) clemson miami i've been saying all year that clemson really annoys me because they basically you know they'll get a slight they'll get like a 10 point lead and then just basically sit back and wait for you to do something before they try again right which is Uh, interesting because miami's thing this year has been winning has been like you know they're going to win this game their way uh even if that's by their fingernails and it usually is and both teams have played their best games against the best teams on the schedule and have otherwise really just kind of dawdled mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and tried to do as little as possible. So I don't know what that, when two teams like that play each other, I don't really know what happens. I just assume that the, you know, Clemson is still, even though they have a lot of pieces gone from last year, they're still the more battle tested of the two. They're more likely to show up, mm-hmm. but well, and we yeah, haven't gotten to, we also haven't gotten to see how Miami, you know, Miami had a plan. And then as, as they say, everybody has a plan until Pitt hits you in the face. Uh, <laughs> and how are they going to rebound from that? Rosier was so bad last week. It was so bad. And he's so never, weird. he hasn't been great all year. Um, 
But like all year, like at that point where like, okay, we've been messing around long enough time to go make three great throws and score a touchdown. Uh, he did not have that club in the bag last Which week. Which is weird because it was like a, a little microcosm version of how Miami's been winning games all season right. and it failed. Right. And I mean, that's like, I mean, that's, I guess the kind of the hazard of messing around yeah. Clemson, you know, losing to Syracuse uh, as well. Um, like when you mess around long enough, eventually you won't bail yourself out. But man, to have Mark Richt basically go over to his quarterback in the fourth quarter and say, I expected more of you, son, and sit him. Oh, God. For, for, would you just. For Evan Sheriffs. Would you just melt into the earth if Mark Richt called you son in disappointment? I know. Like, I know. I, like, like I'm, I have anxiety, like, thinking about that. And and so Evan Sheriffs comes in and does nothing, of course, because he was two for five heading into the season or heading into the game. Um, and so he comes in, gets a pass, batted down, gets sacked, goes back to the bench, put, pit, puts the game away. Rogier comes back in and engineers a scoring drive. So there's that. Uh, he was scorned and, and responded. So maybe he's now going to put up like 400 yards and play his perfect game. Yeah. But yeah, I, this is just a yeah, this is a trust game for me. I just trust Clemson at this point. I am. I'm, I'm going to bring up the turnover chain, but maybe not for the reason people think. Um, okay. You know, Miami is my, Miami is uh, tops in the nation, right? Right, and and turnover margin. I think mm-hmm. uh, close I'm it, extremely yeah. hot. Yeah, yeah, no, they're first. They're first. Okay, my, Miami is leading the nation uh, right now in turnover margin. Clemson is Clemson is not terrible. You know, they're further on the list. They're not terrible, and I know that I know that a lot of a lot of turnovers, uh, a lot of turnover. What we think of as turnover discipline is actually luck. Mm-hmm. How angry do you think the concept of the turnover chain makes Dabo? <laughs> like, look at that gaudiness. Just, just the sheer like ostentatiousness of it. How badly do you think that rankles Dabo? Some, somebody who probably says the word "son" with disdain many times yes. uh, in a given week. Oh my! Oh my God! Do you know what we're gonna? Oh man! It just occurred to me that, and, and I know that this is this is not a, a new concept in football, but it just occurred to me that. Mark Richt and Dabo are going to have like a bless your heart off at midfield. Like it's not, (laughs) it's not a new concept, you know, particularly in this part of the country. Is this maybe the greatest bless your heart off matchup we've ever seen? Well, think of like, I mean, yeah, this is like number one versus number two, right? Yeah. Oh man. Who is God's favorite? This is, there's a lot of stake in this. Did Mark Richt piss Um, off God by taking over the godless Miami hurricanes or did Clemson piss off God by building a literal castle? (laughs) <laughs> this game will determine uh, the outcome yes t- t- tune in uh to abc for for god's favorite <laughs> um no i i really want to i want to believe that M- miami can win this game but again the eyeballs saw mike uh, malik Rogier last week and that's a lot to overcome at this point uh ohio state so Jason this morning, this is spoiler, uh, Jason Kirk in, in our Slack uh, room said, you know, I'm starting to, I'm going to flip my projection or I'm thinking about flipping my prediction because everybody for the last three days has been, so when Ohio State wins this game, what's it going to oh, do? Oh, and that just feels like Ohio a State jinx, versus Alabama. Yeah, especially when, when Wisconsin's actually good, like quite good. Yeah. Um, if I, I, I assume I'll be writing about this game too. And, and another spoiler, it's going to be all about game state. Like what's the score at the end of the first quarter? Mm-hmm. Cause that's going to tell you pretty much uh, Wisconsin for all their strengths 
is like like to 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 make up ground on the top tier of teams like you can't be good at all at 10 things you got to give up a couple and one of the ones that wisconsin gives up is the ability to come back from like a a a, a an early beating like when you're down 17 nothing and you have a couple failed drives and you don't know what to do Bill, next. is there a team on the other side of the field that's set up to do that well ohio state uh, is has shown they're pretty good at laying eggs in the first quarter and responding. The, the only pr- problem is that they're not 100% good mm-hmm. at it. Uh, they have a couple of times laid an egg in the first quarter and then just kept laying an egg. Um, but Wisconsin, like if either team is up, well, no, I can't say either team. If, if Ohio State comes out and plays basically like they did the last time they saw uh, Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game where it was like 14 nothing immediately uh, and Wisconsin realized real early, like, crap, what's plan B? Oh, crap, we don't have a plan B. Um, like that, We could see Ohio State really, really looking good and laying a big number on the board to try to catch Alabama at that point. But if they can't find an early advantage, Wisconsin more than happy to, to grind for four quarters and hit JT Barrett a lot and really, 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 uh, you know, force a couple turnovers and really make them miserable. So what is your read on JT Barrett at this point? Because there's there, it, it feels weird for a guy who is, you know, entering his or ending his ninth season of eligibility for the Buckeyes, but it feels <laughs> like there's still a lot of argument around him as far as whether he is, you know, he is, he is to be entered into the storied halls of Ohio state legend or whether he's just been around a lot. Yeah, he's going to finish with like whatever, like 87 career wins at Ohio State. Yeah. And and he played a role in a lot of those wins. Like uh, he, he has clearly been good quarterback and and from a numbers perspective, right now Ohio State's second in my passing uh S&P plus. Like when you adjust for opponent, uh the fact that he has thrown for 2700 yards with 33 TDs and seven interceptions and a, and completing two-thirds of his passes, like he is a good he is a very good quarterback. And when he engineered the comeback against Penn state, I wrote basically like a victory lap piece. Like I told you that Ohio state was good and that JT Barrett is good. And, and maybe this helps him solidify his resume. And then the next week when he throws 18 interceptions at Iowa, I was like, well, we knew that was possible. Yeah. And, and it was completely hypocritical, but I think it was also true. Like we, we did know that was possible. We know he's not, we know he's capable of that, but it's like when, when, he, when a guy's been around for, for a full four years, um, we, we get to know his, his, his flaws really, really, really well. And when those flaws never go away completely, it just starts to really annoy us. It's like a marriage thing at that point. Like, why haven't you fixed this yet? Why aren't you better at this? Why, why can't you, you know, remember to vacuum the house once a week? <laughs> um, and I think that's just what happens with Barrett. He's been around so long and he still has flaws. Therefore we're like, people start to, to catch the flaws more than the good stuff, but he's still really Mm. good. I'm going to say something about Wisconsin that sounds really obvious, but I actually mean something by it. Okay. I think that undefeated teams can get underrated. Um, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) But what I'm talking about is, it is what I'm talking about is, you know, what you'll hear every coach say after, you know, say after they do a title run, you'll, you've heard, you've heard Saban say this, you've heard Dabo say this. Uh, it is so hard to go undefeated and not just because, yep. you know, not, not just because, you know, Oh, I I'm playing in the big 10. The big 10 is, is strong. There are, there are lots of ways for us to get pulled down into this lobster pot, but there are so many little stupid things 
that are completely out of your control uh, yeah. that have to go right. So many things that you have to react to and account for. And there's a reason that we never finish a season with a scrum of undefeated teams at the top. It's because right. no matter who you are, no matter how easy your schedule is, uh, Michigan, uh, so not, you, you know, uh, was this the year we were predicting 11 and one for Michigan? Uh, well, I think we, we, we kind of do yeah. it every year, but I'm saying uh, it's like, no matter who you are, no matter where your coaching is, it's really, really hard to go undefeated for reasons that sometimes have nothing to do with scheme, uh, for reasons that sometimes have nothing to do with talent. And yeah. I, I am wondering if we are undervalued. Like, I wonder if we've overcorrected too far in the other direction by saying Wisconsin ain't played nobody. Right. And, and I mean, they really, I understand like Michigan being your heart, either Michigan Northwestern or Florida Atlantic being your hardest mm-hmm. game. Um, I understand like that, that means you haven't, uh, you haven't played Ohio state. You haven't played, uh, you know, non-conference clearly when BYU fell apart, clearly the non-conference schedule was lacking. So yeah, again, you know, they, they miss Ohio state, they miss Michigan state, but like, I, I want, and this is weird because I'm saying, you know, Hey, don't sleep on this 12 and O team, right. but I don't underestimate uh, what I'm saying is don't underestimate like the organizational finesse yeah. that also has to go into going undefeated because if it was easy then you know teams riding then teams riding herd over crummy divisions you know would do it way more often and this isn't uh, iowa two years ago like this is where so that um you know my whole quote-unquote second order wins thing the the post-game win expectancy where i have the you know uh, you know throw the stats in the air you would have won this game x percent of the time based on the key stats so I don't remember what it was, but a couple of years, oh, I can look actually. A couple of years ago when Iowa went undefeated, got to 12-0, and 0, that second order win total at the end of the year, like where you just add up the expectancies, uh, like th- they should have been like 10-2. and two. Uh-huh. Um, They won a ton of close games. They, like their, yeah, their second order win total was 10. They, that's, that's the team they should have been. Uh, this year, Wisconsin, that second order win total is 11.7, which basically <laughs> means they did not need anything to doubt whatsoever. Yes. Um, they just, they went out and, and put every game away in a fashion that suggests they would have won that game almost 10 out of 10 times. And the and, haters will say, which is exactly what they should have done with that schedule. Right. But, you know, I still don't feel like it should be. I, yeah. I recognize that I'm hammering on the fact that we're sleeping on an undefeated Big Ten team. But I, I feel like some of the I feel like some of the narrative out there has gone too far in the other direction. Yeah, no, they, I mean, Iowa crushed Ohio state and they offense versus offense. They beat Iowa 38 to nothing. They handed Iowa two pick sixes and still won by 24 points. Mm-hmm. Northwestern, uh, you know, teams on this schedule really tested other good teams. And, and that's like transitive and it's a step away and all that. But regardless, like they, they have handled their business really, really well. And if, if Ohio state, which we know has one of the high ceilings in the country, we also know they have don't have much of an attention span this year. Mm-hmm. If they don't show up for 60 minutes, uh, you know, whatever cliche you want to use there, Wisconsin's going to beat them. So mm-hmm. it's kind of on Ohio State to really, really show up. They might be one of the few teams that like really can beat this Ohio, this Wisconsin team, but they mm-hmm. better they have to do it. They're not gonna it's not nothing's handed to them. Right. And we've you know, we've seen this happen with we've seen this happen with, you know, mid-career Meyer teams before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, it really, yeah, they are number one in my stupid rankings, which it still kind of annoys me, <laughs> but I still get it because when they look good, they look amazing. Yeah. But 
they haven't looked that way every week. They've shown glitches. And um, I, yeah, it really is like you can assume you can predict Ohio State to win this game. But yeah, when the it, it's like 60 40 at best. And when the conventional wisdom is 100 to zero, yeah, you start to realize, wait, I think we might have a blind spot right here. And maybe I'm maybe I'm reaching and trying to make things more interesting and trying to, you know, avoid yet another Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, uh, Alabama uh, cluster in the playoff. But I just, man, as an unaffiliated third party, it's I I, I want something different. <laughs> yeah, we could have uh, what could we have? We could have Wisconsin. Oh Miami. God, let, let's oh God, let's do this. Let's do this. Uh, yep. Wisconsin, because I really want to drink with Wisconsin fans at the title oh, game yes. in Atlanta. This is entirely a sentimental pick. Um, I want Miami because again, I want, I want Mark Richt in the playoff. Uh, I want Auburn because I really, really, really like the idea of going from fire Gus, uh, yeah. to, to build a cathedral to <laughs> Gus, uh, and you know, throw UCF in there, quit hating, quit God. it. I, I have managed to go this entire, I saw people last night saying, Oh, I can't wait for PAPN. He's going to rant. I, I already have ranted. I don't have anything new to say. It's embarrassing that they're 14th. I don't have anything oh new God. to say. Three lost Stanford team. Number Jeez. 12. Like I, I mean, Stanford went I, up nine spots. Yeah. There's nothing. I, I wish I had something new to say about it. It's embarrassing. And that's, I mean, either we get an eight team playoff where the G five team gets a bid or we just need to go ahead and split the P five off and have the bottom of G five. Yeah. It makes me appreciate UCF's undefeated. You know, you know how I love mid majors, you know, how Mm -hmm. I am always the one, uh, you know, steering the, the mid major train at this time of year, but I really appreciate this undefeated run by UCF even more because I feel like whether or not they end up in the playoff, I'm very much hoping that it will force some sort of public reckoning uh, with the way that we have this playoff set up for group of five teams. Yeah. I mean, the group of five teams in that, that bid, that, that bowl that they get since they can't get into the playoff, they've won two out of three. Yeah. Um, They like, they won one tight, reasonably tight game. They lost last year, Western Michigan, what lost by what a touchdown to Wisconsin, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and Houston blitzed Florida state. And a sugar bowl is a great consolation prize as consolation prizes go. However, don't pretend like they can get in the playoff. If they're not going to get in the playoff, you, they can, they can literally do no more than what they have done. They have no, done everything that can be asked of them. We, we, when we start, when we punish a team because their schedule is weak as if they had a control, as if they had like turned down an ACC bid or something mm-hmm. like that's where I start to, I mean, I, I, I not, not to tease times. this out of you again, but I just think it's, I am hoping that no matter which way, like no matter whether the Knights get into the playoff or are excluded from the playoff, mm-hmm. but it forces some kind of reckoning with the committee. The reckoning would be like what they end up in the, like the whatever sugar or peach bowl or whatever it is. And they play like a, a Penn state or um, who else would they maybe play? Or like a Georgia, if uh-huh. Georgia lost or whatever it is. One of those. Oh God, teams, a Georgia they... UCF rematch. That didn't go <laughs> oh, so well right, for them. That's last... right. That's right. <laughs> that didn't go so well for them in Yano Leary. Oh, that was one of the grossest games I've ever seen. Oh my uh, God. That was, yeah, that one left scars. Other... The other problem here, of course, is that, you know, when, when, a when a team gets to this stage, like, you know, PJ Fleck left last year and, and Frost might be gone by the time they get. And so you never, but even with that, they've still won two out of three. The G5 team has won two out of three so far. uh, And I would give them a fighting chance, especially if like Moorhead's gone from Penn state or something. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Like they're like they're gonna have a good chance, but I don't know what has to happen. It, it, like it, they they're fourteenth. They should at least be like tenth. No, that's and even a good then, point about the the coaches leaving because you don't get except for in the case of like a Boise, uh, mm-hmm. and even that doesn't happen anymore with, with Chris Peterson gone. You don't get the sustained drumbeat year after year of let us in, let us in, let us in. Right, the Herman situation and uh, you know, with Houston last year was the only way it would it could ever happen where they managed to they beat Louisville. No, who did they? Yeah, you know they beat Louisville. Yeah, I was there for that. They, <laughs> then they thump um, uh, Florida State, and then they have Tom Herman, and they get the Big Twelve buzz, and then they beat Oklahoma to start the season. Like if they get under, if they get through all of that uh, in twenty sixteen undefeated. Honestly, at this point, like with what we've seen, I still think they end up like fifth or sixth, but maybe they get fourth. And that's mm-hmm. the only way a G5 team would ever get in is if they do great for two straight years and they have a perfectly a schedule that's perfectly designed like five years out um, because, you know, we, because scheduling is stupid and you have a Tom Herman and you have the recruiting buzz. All of those things have to happen for you to maybe have a chance at four. Yeah, and that's that's just sad. Um, and it's not something that I even feel would be improved if they hadn't had three games canceled this year. Right. Like in a perfect world, Georgia, uh, Georgia well, maybe Tech with Memphis Tech heading play. to the conference title game, it would have, but who am I kidding? They, they would have beaten another power five conference champion or another group of five conference championship. And the committee <laughs> wouldn't care about that. No, no, um, no, it's trash. Uh, it's trash, Bill. It's trash. Holly Anderson. I appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, just through the through the dental pain. Uh, this was a this was a a championship performance right here. Um, in the time that we have, you know, Twitter is now saying that Tennessee is prepared to move on to Dave Doran if they can't get Jeff. Ross. This is my literal nightmare that we end up with. No, it's not my little nightmare. We've already lived my literal nightmare. But yeah, yeah. let's let's definitely get a a a guy who's just as thin skinned as Butch, um, who maybe is not as good. That actually does sound about right. I, I will still, for your sake, hope that Brom works out, even though I really, as a Missouri fan, we don't, rather we don't deserve it. Brom. We don't. I know this. I'm hoping we steal him. We, we, but this is not about <laughs> deserve. We do not deserve nice things. Well, we'll uh, by the time this gets edited, three more things will have happened. So we'll just we'll have to wait and see. By the but, time uh, this will you, have been edited, we will have pried Dana uh, out of Morgantown. And that I am okay with too. Get Dana from Morgantown, have Arkansas hire Mike Leach, and I get to watch those two Missouri play those two teams every year. I'm happy. It'll but, be fine. Um, yeah, no, we'll uh, we'll see. as Tennessee as the world turns, we'll uh, we'll see what happens by the time this goes up. But I do appreciate you coming on, um, PAP and listeners. You will eventually get Godfrey back. In the meantime, I'll just keep bringing in awesome guest hosts midweek, and then uh, the the one day you will hear Godfrey say, podcast ain't played nobody once again, and everybody will rejoice and whatnot. Uh, thanks for coming on, Holly. Thank you, Daryl, and be good. <laughs>